Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey there, welcome to the show. My name is Andy Last, and you are listening to Beyond Synth. This is episode 94, and this is uh, part two of my chat with Lamatos. And uh, this is pretty much 100% nerd conversation. A lot of the stuff about their music was sort of last episode, and this was the second half of our chat when uh, we basically just broke down and just talked about Star Wars for like an hour. So I hope you like Star Wars and uh, frame rates and conversations about CGI versus practical and all those sorts of conversations that always happen on Beyond Synth. Today, the show is brought to you by DownToJam.com. Did you know that? Same old, same old status quo here. Down to Jam is a free website that helps musicians around the world connect based on musical compatibility. If you are a musician looking for a partner to jam with or to fill a spot in your band, you're going to want to check out this site and sign up. The site, of course is downtojam.com. D-O-W-N-T-O-J-A-M.com. What else, man? There's a lot of stuff. There's actually nothing to talk about. I don't know. <laughs> like I say, <laughs> there's so much to talk about. There really isn't. How about we listen to a track and then we will do some business. That's what I like to call it. I like to refer to my show as business. You know, it's not really that fun to listen to. And uh, I guess the similarities end there. All right, here is a cool track. This is by a dude called Aaron Future, and this track is called One Day You Will Know.
And that was One Day You Will Know by Aaron Future. It's kind of got like a Gary Newman vibe. And uh, we're going to do something a little weird right now because I'm going to go to the mail sack. But in this particular instance, someone wrote me a mail sack letter, but wrote it in the style of a junk email. So uh, we're going to get two for the price of one here. This is technically the mail sack. And here we go. Alrighty, and of course, if you want to send a letter to the mail sack, just uh, write me a message on the Facebook page, the SoundCloud page. You can contact me on Twitter. I am at Andy Last on Twitter. The Beyond Synth Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash beyond.synth.podcast. And uh, there's the soundcloud.com slash beyondsynth. There's so many ways to get in touch with Beyond Synth. And there's also a YouTube page. Don't forget that. I do post uh, videos to the YouTube page and I don't even know. You know when you have like a YouTube account but it's like YouTube slash ZRQZZ1010218 like so. I think just type in Beyond Synth into YouTube and you'll find the videos. You know what though? The easiest way because I get people who send me questions where they uh, they go, oh, I can't find your Patreon or I can't find the YouTube or the SoundCloud. If you go to Google Google and type in Beyond Synth and then the website you want to find, you'll find it. I mean, I don't know if my Google is set up differently than other people's, but when I type in Beyond Synth into Google, the top search is Beyond Synth on SoundCloud, followed by the Facebook page, followed by, you know, the Twitter. Like, it's it's all there. Just so you know, man, that's the way to do it. Now, let's read this message. This is from African Prince. It says, Hello, Mr. Andy Last. Yes, I do know your name, which proves that I am no scam like those other Nigerian princes that tried to contact you. I am the real deal. But I am well aware of your scams, Mr. Andy Last. Yes, I am talking about your Patreon. I assure you that it will never work. Not without my help and not without Mr. Mitch Murder. But do not fear, your African prince is here. Please note that the next information is confidential and comes from a very reliable source. This is what you need to do. Two simple steps. Co-host a fake video game podcast with IGN's Damon Hatfield and do not mention anything about Synthwave. Two. Invite Mitch Murder and only mention Impact Winter 30 Days to Survive, IGN, and Amiga 500. Trust me, this will work since Mitch Murder is a bigger video gamer than even you and Damon Hatfield combined. Though, if you do decide to go with this plan, be aware that we African princes will expect some return. Greetings, African Prince. Well, thanks, African Prince. That sounds like a great idea. I understand that's the way this show usually is. Beyond Synth is a funny show where I will have musicians on and we'll end up talking about movies and video games more than we actually talk about music. But you know what? It's my show, so fuck you. I'll do what I want. All right? Talking about music is fine, but the fact of the matter is when these people just make awesome music, I just like listening to it and then shooting the shit. But I don't know why I need to justify that to you. African Prince. Now let's listen to another track. This is a cool funky one from Admo. This track is called Sparks.
And that was Sparks by Admo. That's a cool track. I dig that vibe. How about this? Now, you know, uh, my listener, Jeff Harrington, he loves the junk emails. And uh, we didn't do it in a while, and so I read one last week. And then I got this tweet from Benevolent Knievel, who says, uh, regarding the junk email, I haven't missed it even one little bit. So that must be the nemesis of Jeff Harrington. You see, on one hand, you've got someone who loves the junk email segment, and on the other hand, you've got someone who hates it and doesn't want it to ever come back. Which just goes to show that you can please everyone. Because we're going to the junk email folder. Fuck you, Benevolent Knievel. Fuck you. (laughs) Listen, I have a stack of junk emails. It's like 40 high. I got to get through them. I'm neurotic that way. I can't let this keep piling up. So let's open up the junk email folder. Now, this was actually sent in by a listener, which uh, happens from time to time. Not Jeff Harrington, however. This was from another listener, a guy called Patrick. Probably sent this to me, like, last year. I mean, the pile it just keeps getting bigger. Anyways, this is titled, I Bring You Cavalry Greeting from Mrs. Susan Boney. Dear friend, I got your details from an extensive online search via Network Power Charitables Trust for a reliable person. I'm Mrs. Susan Boney, a 57-years-old dying woman who was diagnosed for cancer about four years ago. I have decided to donate my fund, $1 million, to you for charitable goals. I want you to use this fund to help the orphanage homes, poor, sick ones in the hospital, Widows, help women with cancer, help in the Church of God, since I do not have any child to inherit the fund. I took this decision because I can't take this money to the grave. I don't have any child that will inherit this money again, and I and my late husband vowed to use our last wealth to help the less privileged, since we have no child. Our relatives are wicked and selfish. (laughs) That's something we don't say enough. You know, when someone's being a jerk, just like, man, that Dan sure is wicked. (laughs) (laughs) Our relatives are wicked and selfish. They tried to frustrate our Christian life and our marriage. Beloved, I don't need telephone communications because of my health condition. Please reply me through my email for me to give you other details. Proverbs 19.17 He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will reward such a person for his good work. Beloved, let us join hands together to... (laughs) to help our fellow brothers and sister who are poor, sick, and homeless, so that blessings will be ours portion while glory goes to the Lord, our Creator. I am waiting for your soonest response. Thanks, and God bless you, your loving sister in Christ. Well, Mrs. Susan Bonney, I, uh, she's really appealing to my religious side. As you know, I frequently quote Proverbs. Most of the time, uh, I cut that part out of the show, but in fact, uh, most of my interviews actually run about three hours when I'm with a guest, and 
and uh, the middle half an hour is usually for a prayer, basically. Just like Susan suggested, uh, we join hands, although virtually, because if we're talking over Skype, we have to join hands uh, virtually. But it's uh, it's the same thing, man. It means a lot to me because I am also a sister in Christ. Now, in all serious, besides all that fucking religion nonsense, I'll tell you what has changed my life, and this is true. Lemon water. All right? <laughs> Just have a jug. I got these jugs. They're about uh, 2.2 liters, which is technically your daily supply of water. You fill it up. You put a few fucking lemon slices in there so it becomes like sort of lemon-infused water. And uh, it makes the whole day better. It doesn't taste like lemonade or anything. The point of it is it just um, it settles your stomach a bit. And uh, you're also getting your daily water supply. So it's sort of that whole aspect. You can, you just keep the bottle with you so you always have that water. So you're not going to the fridge and getting another glass of water. You just have this jug. And I got this jug right here, man. And I'm going to take a drink. Ah, so the point is you don't... <laughs> <laughs> My show is the worst. The point is you don't need Proverbs 19:17. Just get yourself a 2-liter jug of water, put some lemon slices in there, and uh, I'm telling you, man, it'll change your life. It's changed my life. I'm a whole new man. Except for just now, because I took a swig and, like, I also uh, juiced a lemon in there and some, like, lemon pulp, like, started to come out of the nozzle. I don't have great stories. All this religion talk makes me want to purge my sin. So let's listen to a track by Occam's Laser. That, my friend, is a segue. Off the album Purgatory, this is Purging of Sin.
And that was Purging of Sin by Occam's Laser from the Purgatory album. And that guy's got a bunch of uh, cool albums you should check out. I think this Purgatory one has a slight religious theme. Let's look at the other song titles here from Purgatory. Excommunicated, The Late Repentant, Terrace of the Envious, Fire of Wrath, Ceaseless Existence, Comforts of the Flesh. Yeah, so just a bit. Anyway, check it out, Occam's Laser. Good stuff. What else do we got to do today, man? I should point out, uh, although we do touch on it at the end of the interview, Lamatos is going on tour with Carpenter Brood. I think it's sort of an Eastern North American tour. I think they're, I don't know if it's like two weeks of dates or whatever, one of which is, that is in Toronto, and I'm hopefully going to catch that show, but they're also going to a bunch of other places, so make sure to check out uh, their website for that information because uh, that would be very helpful in terms of you getting information. (laughs) It would be very helpful to get the information if indeed information is what you want. And that's all I have to say about that. But I'm excited for it, man. Check out Carpenter Brutes and uh, Lamatos are, of course, really awesome. Anyways, let's go to the fucking Patreon, man. It's time to acknowledge my lovely patrons. guys beyond synth has a patreon that's a way you can support beyond synth with your money because that's what patreon is it's a monthly donation service so you can donate as little as a dollar a month up to the preferred donation of three thousand dollars per month which is what i suggest you all do to keep this show running literally each light bulb in this studio costs five hundred dollars to run a month and there are six all i want to do is keep the lights on do you know what i mean That's it. I just want to keep the lights on. Anyway, here are the lovely people who donate to Beyond Synth and make Beyond Synth possible. There's Power85, Brandon Callum, Ravonia, Bending Unit 22, Lunar Baboon, Knox Bellow, Terrence Thompson, Nathan Winter, Russ Nyes, Data Suck, Seach, The Fear Merchant, Kanaz, Arjen1981, Russell Hugo, Kyle, Night Raptor. Um, oh, that reminds me, before I get carried away, Night Raptor created a Beyond Synth group on the PlayStation Network. Okay, so if you own a PlayStation 4, you can search for the Beyond Synth community, sorry, and uh, you can join it. And maybe one of these days we'll all play some Grand Theft Auto or something. So search for Beyond Synth Community if you own a PlayStation 4. That is all. Night Raptor uh, did that. And also, who else donated to Beyond Synth? There's Junk Mail Jeff. There's Python Blue. Katner. Girls with Tails. Zychorax. I90RR. Mitch Wiseman. Jeff Block. Eric Valerio. Tomas Shabubinichek. Common Sense, and 420 Bro, Chris Schmokel. Hey, buddy. Now, let's go to my lovely $5 Pattersons. There's Kai, Saloya, X-Riz Music, Joe and Lando, Roman, Devious Raven, Bobby B, John Eternal, Dougie Fresh, Lame Robot, Mono Memory, Replicant 81, Florence Bullock, Matthew Lister, Simon Norberg, Vailingo, New Gat Ninja, Greg Smith, and we got some new ones here. We got Mike 
Shima or is that Shema? How do you suppose you pronounce that? S H E M A. I'm gonna say Shima. Anyway, thanks, Mike, for your support. I'm looking at your little avatar down here. It's a picture of a TARDIS in a portal. You know, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, so I like to see pictures of TARDISes. What, what am I doing? Anyways, thanks, buddy. Uh, there's also. Another new uh, $5 Patterson here, Ethan Hennings. Thanks, dude. Ethan Hennings is a cool guy, and uh, I appreciate your support. One of them wacky donations, $5.01. 501 jeans. That's what I'm going to call you, 501 jeans, Ethan. Tell all your friends to call you that. That can be your new nickname. And then, of course, there's Blake Peterson. And then there's Hellroy and Lucas Ceballos with the donations of the beast. This is a very religious show. And now we are moving on to my lovely $10 Pattersons. There is Jake Last, Trevor Resnick, Colin Bennett, Fraser Davidson, Victor Gaza, Ezra Van Dam, Winfield Willow, and Jacob Wick. Sometimes I feel bad because I feel like I put emphasis on the last person's name, so it feels like I'm being treating them cooler because I always end it with Jacob Wick. So which one of you guys feels like I don't give you the right amount of emphasis on your name. Will Lowe? Will Lowe. Winfield. Ezra Van Dam. Victor Garza. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, I don't know why that's the one that I love reading the most. Victor Garza. <laughs> I don't know why. You know, certain words just hit your you're funny. And of course, if you are a $10 donor to the show, you donate at that level for a little bit, and I will uh, make you a custom video shout-out video, personal thank you, greeting. And uh, you can check all those out on the YouTube page. Anyways, guys, thank you. That is the Patreon for this week, and thank you all for donating to the show. Each donation brings you all closer to God. (laughs) Hey, man, I'm just as qualified to make those promises as the other dudes. So, uh, anyways, listen. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. What? Let's listen to another sra- another track. Let's listen to another track, guys. We call them tracks now instead of tracks because I'm an idiot. Apparently, uh, here is Time Cop 1983. This is off the Lovers EP. This was uh, my favorite track. This is Lovers featuring Sea Waves.
And that was Lovers featuring Sea Waves by Time Cop 1983. And maybe one of these days I will have Time Cop on the show because uh, he makes uh, some cool music there. So, And maybe I'm just saying that because I've already recorded an interview and you're not going to hear it for like four months. That <laughs> I can be all coy and be like, maybe they'll be on the show sometime. And meanwhile, last year we recorded an interview. Sometimes that happens. For some reason this year, even though I'm editing shows right before they're going to air, I've actually recorded a whole bunch of interviews um, that are all sort of like backlogged. That's the way Beyond Synth works. Sometimes you got to strike while the iron is hot. Then it's like two months later and the iron is cold and you realize you now have to edit those irons. My metaphor is completely falling apart here. And now we're going to part two of my conversation with Le Matos, uh, Jean-Philippe et Jean-Nicolas, and we're continuing right from where we left off, and we'll be listening to tracks from the Chronicles of the Wasteland album, which is essentially songs from the Turbo Kid soundtrack, but enhanced to be more standalone songs. And here is a kick-ass track... This is Wasteland by Lumatos.
And that was Wasteland by Lamatos off the Turbo Kid soundtrack. And I'm here with Lamatos right now talking about Turbo Kid soundtrack that uh, you guys had to work very hard and very long hours over a short amount of time to produce. But it is a wicked soundtrack. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, what the fuck is the Felix Award? Or le, le Fe- <laughs> Felix? It's is like it the Felix. It's like the Junos from Quebec. Yeah. Okay. So it's like uh, we have that this big like uh, gala yeah, ceremony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ceremony. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in Quebec, in television. So uh, we won like um, uh, best electronic album of the year. Yeah. Well, it's a fucking good album. Cool. So Thank there you, you go. <laughs> You've won the Beyond Synth Award. It maybe isn't as cool as the the Felix. Is it the Felix? Is that how they say? Felix, it? yeah, it's from Felix Leclerc. It's like this uh, one of the biggest uh, songwriter. Yeah, poet. senior songwriter from the sixties, fifties. Yeah, yeah. Do you think he digs electronic music? I don't think there was electronic music <laughs> at that time. <laughs> maybe some Russian stuff, but hmm. maybe. So yeah. Yeah, we went for that. It's always a surprise to see like us like at awards like that because it's really something that we do so just like for fun. Mm-hmm. It's always weird to get like nominated. We were nominated as well for uh, best original soundtrack in the awards for film in Quebec as well, and we won at Sidges. That's pretty big. It's like one yeah. of the biggest like sci- science fiction uh, festival in the world. Do you guys have like? Do you actually get like trophies for these things? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're, They're at the with studio us right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. cool. Yeah, and see, it's funny because there's one that it's gold, the Felix, and the other one is like silver. It's like Daft Punk. Nice. <laughs> yeah. You just got to melt them down and make some helmets for yourselves. <laughs> yeah, there's one that is pretty heavy. The other one, I feel like it's like really plasticky. Yeah, it's like cheapo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great, though. I mean, like, it's cool to see this stuff recognized. Because for me, I've always loved, you know, synth soundtracks. I mean, the reason why I love synthwave music so much and why, you know, I started doing this show in the first place was like my excitement that people were actually making this sort of music, like the stuff that sounds super retro, but also the stuff that like sort of uses retro sounds, but puts them in sort of more modern context. I mean, I feel like, um, like that's what you guys do. Like you kind of have yeah. more sort of modern sounding beats. Mm-hmm. I feel like other artists in the scene that sort of have that same kind of vibe is like Pilot Priest. Makeup and Vanity is another yes. one yeah. that is yeah. like, we're, we really like, I think we, we didn't heard from him before. And when we listened to him, it was like, we find it, it was like, really close to what we did actually have you ever have you ever heard pilot priest yeah 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 because yeah. actually you guys are sort of similar because he's also he's a film director oh, i didn't know that i'm curious to be what's going on because i haven't talked to him in a little bit but he's actually directing like hollywood movies and stuff and he uh makes the music and he just he does that same thing like more contemporary sounding kind of beats but using retro uh synth sounds but what i love about my favorite you know film scores and stuff and what i think that movies haven't been doing as much of lately is like memorable themes you know like really strong sort of you know they can be simple whatever but melodies yeah uh that's what i've always gravitated towards and i always found it was like those synth scores of you know like the 80s and stuff like that that there were just a lot of really memorable movie scores especially for like even big budget hollywood movies that was like an important thing john william is the king of the 
the theme. Oh yeah, no, like great themes that you just sing. I mean, I guess his weren't really synth, but I mean, like they were still like the memorable, right? That was yeah, the it, melody was there. Yeah, and it's like that was important. That's the one thing that I feel like is sort of lost now a bit because you know I'm a big you know I like science fiction movies, I like superhero movies. Well, you have Hans Zimmer that still has like uh, good themes. Yeah, he's yeah, Hans Zimmer is awesome. I think he might be my favorite right now. Like, but I just find that with I look at say like the Marvel movies for example. No, it's yeah, just you like, can't remember it's, anything from that. It's, it's not. It's good. It's good score, but it's just like not memorable. It's just memorable. like yeah, just to to it's filler. Yeah, it's filler. It's action filler, I guess. You know, even at the time, I remember when I saw you know like Sam Raimi's Spider Man movie, and I remember thinking at the time going. Uh, you know, this score isn't that strong because I was so used to, you know, like the Batman score and, you know, like Superman and stuff like these memorable themes. And now when I look back at the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, that's like a great theme compared to the new superhero movies because they don't have themes anymore. Like, I mean, I I think maybe Avengers like kind of has one. I have no idea. Uh, so and I've seen those films. Yeah, they, they don't stand out because no. I love I love a great title sequence to a movie. That's something they're kind of getting rid of as well now, too. Like they. They go right into the action and they sort of have a title sequence at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I miss the days of just a great song and a cool title sequence. Like, I love that shit. But that's that's me. Yeah, you're, we're, we're on the same page for, yeah. you with, <laughs> for sure. But I love, uh, do you like uh, Johan Johansson? I don't know if I know his work. What does he, what does he do? He's going to do the new Blade Runner. For sure. So he's the guy doing Blade Runner and he's going to do Dune probably as well. He's working always with Denis Villeneuve. So he did like Sicario, he did uh, Prisoner. No, I haven't I haven't listened to those scores. It's cool. It's different. It's like, it's more like Arrival. Yeah, I did Arrival as well. Yeah. And it's, uh, he's from uh, Iceland. Pretty good stuff. Love his stuff. Yeah, I wonder what uh, what angle he's going to take with the Blade Runner, man. That's going to be interesting. The thing is like, I went to like a seminar with Denis Villeneuve had him. In Montreal uh, last summer, okay, heard their thoughts on making music. The thing is, like, Yohan Johansson used to be in bands in New Zealand, uh, in New Zealand, in Iceland, Iceland. and he's like really into every type of stuff of music. I know he was like talking about uh, dead metals and stuff like that as well, and uh, indie rock, and and I'm pretty sure he's like he understands music perfectly. Sure, and I know he's gonna try to do something that is close to him, his style, but I know he's going to work with synths. And normally he works with different like artists from different genres, you know, just like composer. And, like He's going to work with keyboard player and stuff like that he's for gonna, sure. He's going to call Vangelis probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, on my point, I'm so glad that Vangelis is not going to make the yeah. new Blade Runner. Maybe consult, you know, he could. Just like listen to Vangelis stuff and after that he can make his own. It's just like, I love Vangelis, a huge fan of Vangelis. Mm-hmm. But I think if you, I don't know if you listened to his last score he did. What was it for? I haven't, I haven't listened to any new Vangelis, no. It's a, a documentary about Rosetta. Yeah, like a dedication to the uh, Rosetta space probe. And I was like pretty pumped because it's a new Vangelis and I'm a huge fan like since I was young. And uh, it's it's good, but it's so cheesy. It's like old school Vangelis. Yeah, well, he is cheesy, so, right? I mean, like his music yeah, is so super cheesy. Imagine making his same sound on a new Blade Runner. Yeah, it's it's not going to fit. It's gonna just going to feel weird. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Uh, so, so what we should do is listen to another track cool. from Chronicles of the Wasteland and then we'll uh, we'll keep talking. So this is... Like Faith or Some Shit by Lumatos.
And that was Like Faith or Some Shit by Lumatos. And we were just talking about the upcoming Blade Runner sequel. And I, I gotta say, I am done being excited for things. <laughs> I'm not pessimistic. Like, I want no, I things, you. You I want things be... to be great. But it just happens a lot where I just go and I just kind of get overexcited and burned by stuff. Because I like blockbuster movies. So I've never been like a film snob. Like if I look at my top 10 and my top 20, like the majority of them are Hollywood films. I never really have that like, one of my favorite movies is a, a short film from Greenland that's, you know, about a, a, a coming of age <laughs> yeah. of a woman. You know, like that that's never on my list. My list is all fucking robots and explosions. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they can be so disappointing, especially when they do you know and so Blade Runner it's like it's fucking Blade Runner you know what I mean like there's a lot riding on that and I know the director is a super talented dude the thing is with the director as well he's not gonna try to sign his film with his style Mm -hmm. like if you get someone like Tim Burton to make like a Blade Runner, you know you're fucked. Yeah. It's going to be horrible. <laughs> I think you're just oh. fucked if you get Tim Burton to do anything right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can, you're kind of right. But I mean, like, Denis Villeneuve's going to, he's like this huge fan of Blade Runner. Mm. So he's going to try to make the best Blade Runner he can. I think the only real concern, honestly, is it's just going to be Harrison Ford. <laughs> because if he turns up and wants to be there, mm-hmm. it'll be fine. Yeah. But if he doesn't want to be there, like I actually, I, I liked him in the last Star Wars movie. It seemed like he was kind of enjoying himself. Yeah. But that little snippet of trailer we got for Blade Runner, I mean, granted, I don't know anything about the movie, so I'm not going to judge. But like everything is so stylized, you know, even like Ryan Gosling's got like the trench coat and all this stuff. And then Harrison Ford's just kind of there in like a gray t-shirt. I know. And it's just sort of like, (laughs) oh, did he like get to set and they actually had like something for him to wear? And he's like, no. You know, like, (laughs) I'm going to do it like this. And just like, oh, fuck. And they're thinking they're going to use that, like, the technology they use on all those, like, the Superman movies now where they just CGI in, like, clothes on top of him. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Because that would be awesome. Let's hope not. (laughs) He literally has General Zod's outfit from Man of Steel. Like, they just just (laughs) throw the same costume on. One thing for sure, it's like, it's a good team on that film. So if the screenplay is good, I think it's going to be a good film. But at the same time, it's always hard to try to redo something that you loved and you mm. that you suffered the first time with like the eyes of when you were a child. Yes. You know, it's impossible to... There's a lot of movie right now that if I've watched them when I was a kid, I will probably love them. Mm-hmm. But watching them now, it's like, I think it's like bad. So it's hard to, to try to make a sequel or prequel or like a, a reboot of something that was so big in the eyes of uh, yeah I know. of us I, in our young age, you know? It's so tricky too, because like a lot of my favorite films were all from sort of when I was in high school. Like, I mean, I had a lot of ones when I was a kid, but once I started to really get into movies and that was like, you know, in the 90s. So I had the whole of film history to choose from. I mean, that's a thing too, not many people talk about is that, you know, when you start getting in and you start to really like movies and if you're the kind of person who really likes them, from whenever you start watching movies, you have all like the history of movies to choose from to make your favorite films. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, it's sort of different when you're sort of experiencing them live. Because I sit there and go like, man, like this this year wasn't that great for movies. But then I think, well, like when I started liking films, yeah, there was like maybe two or three from 1984 and, you know, like three or four from 1985 that are on my, you know, my list or whatever. So, you know, I still think every year there is, you know, a few really great films that are produced. 
And if if you could look back like 20 years from now and just pick the best movies from the 2000s, you'd still have like a whole bunch of movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, guess one way to sort of look at it. Although to be fair, there are a few years that were really awesome for movies. <laughs> like when you watch those things like the coming attractions in like 1982 or whatever and it's all just like the thing and like like they, what's the one? What year is it? There's a year in the 80s and you watch like there's a video on YouTube where it shows like the movies that are coming out that summer. Okay. And they're like all classic films. It's like fucking E.T., The Thing. That's probably 82, probably. But soon to compete are some very dazzling science fiction films. Today, we sneak preview a few. First up, Blade Runner. Directed by Ridley Scott, who directed Alien, Blade Runner is a detective thriller set in a very crowded Los Angeles in the year 2019. Stars Harrison Ford as a bounty hunter who tracks down four deadly genetically manufactured human beings with superhuman strength. Back to the present day, MGM has Poltergeist for release on June 4th. This Steven Spielberg production is about a suburban family terrorized in their spooky new house. Also from the mind of Steven Spielberg is E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Little is known about this film except that it stars a friendly alien lost and alone 100,000 light years from home. He's befriended by a small Earth boy. Another alien from outer space is featured in The Thing, but this one isn't so friendly. Based on the same short story used by Howard Hawks to make The Thing in 1952, this version stars Kurt Russell. It's an all-male cast battling a deadly creature which can take on the appearance of any living life form. Starring the original cast from the TV series Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan looks to be the movie Trekkies have been waiting light years for. Filled with lots of action and danger, Star Trek II features Ricardo Montalban as the vengeful Khan who sets out to kill Captain Kirk and destroy whoever gets in his way. And finally, in a bold move to get the kids out of video arcades and back into the theaters, Disney Studios is offering Tron. It's a futuristic adventure fantasy combining computer-generated images with live-action photography. But the thing is, like, a lot of those films back then was not popular at all. Like, the thing was not a big deal. It was a flop. Mm -hmm. The thing was a flop. And Blade Runner as well, too. Like, people didn't really love it at first. Blade Runner is like, there's a weird vibe. I still get the same emotion that I had when when I was, like, seeing it for the first time. It's like there's something weird about that film the mm-hmm. fact that it's in it's like it's a studio film so you don't get a lot of like huge wide shots same thing with legends you feel that it's made like in a small environment even mm-hmm. if it's yes. supposed to be big yeah so there's this big claustrophobic vibe from that film that's one of the big things that i'm scared of the new blade runner i hope they're gonna still keep that vibe you know not try to just impress with a lot of like uh, big, big spaces. Uh, yeah, yeah, big. yeah, yeah. I guess that's a good point, too, because there's a lot of movies now that I think about it that I like where I can almost tell it's a soundstage, but it doesn't... Because I, I really love... Uh, I mean, I know I just made fun of Tim Burton, but like I do like a lot of his older movies. Batman Returns, you felt it's on a stage. Yeah, Batman so. Returns. That's exactly what I was just about to fucking say. Yeah. Is that Town Square is such a set. <laughs> it's yeah, just, it's it feels like such a set, but I, lo- I love that movie. It's just so weird. Yeah, but it gives you something different that you don't get from like the Avengers and stuff like that. That's true. There's something that it's emotional about the way it was shot because of those fact that it was like a small, smaller sets. Because now it's just like set set extension. You know, they're going to shoot on a the street and they're going to like 
add a bunch of stuff to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is cool as well, but I feel like in Blade Runner, and I hope it's the new one's gonna keep that claustrophobic big spaces. It's weird. Sometimes there are certain effects that are dated, but I still have this nostalgic kind of mm-hmm. love for them because when I'm thinking about Blade Runner, is I love the matte paintings in that film. I mean, obviously they do them digitally now, but they look so much, it's hard to describe. Like, they just look better, right? They look more real or whatever. But there's something that I still like about, like, a matte painting where you it kind of looks like a painting. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason why I like, you know, puppets instead of with CGI, that even if they don't move as smoothly, I feel the art of it more you know like I feel like yeah somebody's hand is in that puppet and there's people pulling strings and there's some guy painted that fucking background like you know like a team of people painted it on the glass and put it you know like there's, there's something to me that I just I feel the work I like in the the Force Awaken like this big final scene in the uh like the fights in the forest with the snow mm-hmm. it's an actual set with matte painting yeah Yeah. Actual painting? Yeah, yeah. It's really nice. If you see like the behind the scenes, it looks so well. And I'm pretty sure it's one of the reasons this scene is so beautiful. And when you see it like again after that, you feel that it's on a stage. Mm -hmm. But but it's like the same type of like you're saying, it's like it has that old school type of thing to it that is work really really well. Again, it's subconscious. It's hard to explain. It's like when you feel the work, not to discount, I always have to preface this because I do get that you know, CGI takes a lot of work, you know, that's like fucking teams of nerds on computers, like working really long hours, probably, you know what I mean? And so like, I appreciate that that is also work. It's the same thing as doing it real. It's just in a computer. So those guys are are, are artists, you know? Yes, they are. So it's a weird thing because when I say that stuff, it's like, it's not to put down those people because that's, that's still like a, you know, it, it is artistic work and it's hard work and they've got to do a lot of stuff and it's very technical and computers fucking suck and they're always breaking and glitching and I can't imagine what the computers are doing on like big budget movies <laughs> when they go to do like a render of like, oh, we got the alien rendered and then like two weeks later when the thing's fucking done rendering, the whole model's fucked up <laughs> and like the arms like coming out of the head and stuff and, you know, because that, that shit happens and there's no explanation because computers are just a pain in the ass. But at the same time, there's just something about real props and and real sets even when they're not as perfect when i watch like old like terminator one i still love that fucking rubber arnold head it's ridiculous but there's something (laughs) i still love about that scene whereas you know yeah you can watch terminator 3 which is not good to watch but like they've got great you know cgi fucking arnold so now you can really see through his whole face you know with the uh with the robot side, but I the scene where he's fucking, you know, cutting his eyeball out in Terminator 1 is still better. I think it's like, it's us getting older, man. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, for real. Because I was like, the, the best, like, example, I was talking to, like, younger guys, not kids, you know? Early like, 20s? No, 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 like, no? Uh, 15 guys, like, 15, 15 years, years old, old or 12 yeah. years old, whatever. Yeah, teens. Like, teens about, like, the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Hmm. And they they watch like the original one, and they feel like it's like silly. Those guys with the suits, yeah, they don't feel real at all to them. And for me, the new one don't feel re- real at all. Yeah, so because I we think, know. I yeah, know. yeah, but I think it's like a generation thing. I prefer puppets and suits as well, but I think it's maybe because we We're nostalgic, maybe. Yeah, or it's just something that we on a grandi, we grew up with. Yeah. yeah. We grew up with, so I don't know. Yeah, nostalgia plays a part in this for sure. Uh, but let's 
let's listen to some more music okay. and uh, and then we'll keep talking. So here's another song from Chronicles of the Wasteland. This is Eyes, Throat, Genitals. Nice. Great title. Uh, by Lumetos.
And that was Eyes, Throat, Genitals, off the Chronicles of the Wasteland album by Lumatos. And, of course, that relates to some dialogue from the movie Turbo Kid. Uh, anyway, I'm with uh, Lumatos right now, and we're talking about nostalgia and uh, practical effects and stuff. And I was going to say that uh, on the subject of CGI, I think there's a way not to overuse it yeah. and focus on its strengths. Like, uh, you know CGI does robots really well. Yeah. So that stuff I never have a problem with. You know, like whenever there's robot characters or things, like they look great all the time, you know, with CG. And there's some movies that, you know, where they merge them, like the Where the Wild Things Are, you know, where it's like dudes in big fluffy suits, but they do CGI to like make the mouths move smoother and, you know, make the eyes blink and stuff, you know, where they sort of find a way to, to do both. Yeah, that's nice. And that's cool. I mean, I... Obviously, like, the technology's awesome, like, and there's so many cool things they can do, but it bugs me when something's really good, but I'm taken out of it because I feel that there's just something slightly just not real about what I'm what I'm looking at. Did you guys watch uh, Stranger Things? Yeah. So Stranger Things was good, but the thing that disappointed me about it was that the monster was CGI. The creature, yeah. Yeah, same for me. It sort of disappointed me more on a, um, on a technical level of just the, they nailed everything about this, like, the the tone the look you know the costumes the set direction like everything was you know just that eye the detail of the, that that yeah kind of like too much as well like putting poster that you know nobody has like a, like a thing poster when they were a kid yeah <laughs> you know it's like it's just they're trying to put it on your face no this is the 80s yeah and it's like so you're Putting that point that this is the 80s that much and you nailed it. It's It was good. I liked it. And at the end, you get like a CGI monster. It's like, yeah. what? It doesn't make sense with everything else you did on this series, you know? And I understand, again, it's one of those things where I'm empathetic to the production process. So... I bet you, you know, it's a TV show. They didn't know it was going to be successful. Maybe it literally just wasn't in the cards. You know, like they just, the CGI monster was the only way they could do it in time to, for their I'm I'm sure there's a reason. But at the end of the day, it still was the one thing where I was like, would this have just been better if they had a guy in a suit and just showed it less? Yeah. You know, and didn't really focus too much. Or like only used CGI for that exact moment where the head opens up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, blend the, the real with the, the CGI, you know? Yeah, because sometimes I feel like there's an overuse where, you know, you're looking and it's like, why did this whole thing, it, it already looks like a person anyways. Like it, it moved around like it had, you know, two arms and two legs. Yeah. That it could just have been some skinny guy right up to the point where you needed the CGI. It was one of those things that confused me a bit about The Force Awakens. You know, when there's that villain who was CGI, but he was just like a guy. Mm-hmm. Commander Snoke or whatever the fuck his name is. And that just disappointed me a bit too because they did this huge focus on showing like look we're using puppets again and we're doing all these practical effects for this Star Wars movie and then they've got this completely CGI character that I don't understand why he was CGI and not just a guy with makeup or a puppet I mean unless they're gonna explain something in the next Star Wars film and he's got like fucking spider legs or something and he's all weird I mean who knows still they can make that they have the money to do it like that's true practical i'm pretty sure it's because they they liked the design of it and they like this cgi type of stuff i guess the same thing with like i don't know if you i'm a huge fan of super 8 from jj abraham it's like everything's really good except the fact that it's like the cgi creature at the end Mm -hmm. it's the same thing 
you know, maybe show less. It's gonna be less like intense or like flashy, but it's gonna keep the the reference that you're trying to get from the beginning of the film that is like 80s and like all Star Wars movies, uh, not Star Wars, but uh, Spielberg movies. I mean, we're not the only people to have had this conversation. So they know that these CGI creatures, there's a bit of a disconnect between them. You know they're not real. There's just something off about it. And they keep insisting on throwing these CGI monsters into these movies when you just know, like, ah, it just doesn't look great. I don't know if they're just overconfident or they're, they they think they can do things they can't. Like, I don't know. Did you guys see Rogue One? Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, hold on, hold on. That's, One of us saw it. <laughs> I, saw, I, I saw it. I'm a huge Star Wars buff, like, hardcore Star Wars fan. But, uh... Do you, no, do you no. mind for spoilers or no I don't mind okay well, okay cool. so well, go ahead, go ahead. Well, well this is only about CGI it's not like a story point no, no that's no. fine but obviously I'm gonna talk about CGI uh, fucking Peter Cushing yeah so that's an example where I'm like it's not 100% and as a fan, as a Star Wars fan, it's super cool that he's there. Yeah, but just a, a like a CGI reflection. So he's just from behind and you see his reflection, mm. that would pass. The CGI will be good on a reflection. Yeah. And you can keep that mysterious thing and you know that the guy is dead. So it's fucking cool that they're bringing like him back, but you you don't have to get like a close up of the CGI. I think I saw something in an interview where they said the original concept was he was going to be over the hologram. You know, like when they talk to people on Star Wars and they're that jittering blue hologram or whatever. Yeah, that will work as well. And that would have been perfect. So there were certain things where, as a fan, I'm like, it's really cool that he's got so much screen time and that his character is in this thing. But at the same time, it was so distracting because it was just, to pull that off, it has to be 100%. percent mm-hmm. And the fact that it was like 93%, you know, like that it like it looked pretty damn good, but it just didn't look perfect... So anytime he was on screen, I was just like, ah. You're not in the movie anymore, so it doesn't work. And of course, like the Leia one was a little weird. That's weirder. the worst. Yeah. Because just use, use her and do like CGI on her face so she looked younger. Don't do like a full CGI character, you know? Yeah, the best I've seen so far is when they do the stuff on the, um, like they did in the Captain America. Yeah. And in Ant-Man. Those are the two best ones I've ever seen. Like the, the young Michael Douglas and the young fucking uh, Robert Downey Jr. from Captain America 3. Like, yeah. those are the best I've seen. But you know what was the worst? And Leia looked exactly the same. Is the Tron one. And it looks like they used the actual, like, it was the same plugin or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. They do these weird doughy animations where it's like their faces are plasticine or something. Yeah. It's so like when they smile, <laughs> like when, when Jeff Bridges and Tron, see Tron, at least you can argue it takes place in a virtual world, except for those two first scenes that don't. Yeah. It seems their faces are swollen or something. Yeah. I, 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 I get what you mean. So at least, you, but you could say, okay, fine. If Tron is in a virtual world, it's okay that he looks like he's CGI because it's, yeah. he's fake. But of course, there are two scenes that take place in the real world that that override that. But the same thing with Leia. They did the same thing where she does this smile and they hold on her too long. And then it, and it's like it's like someone took their thumbs and like pushed up her fucking mouth. <laughs> the cheeks. Yeah. I'm just showing the uh, the pictures, the, the pictures right now to Jean-Nic. It's good. Oh, huh? no? it's good. This one. Yeah, it looks good. I don't know. Looks like plastic. It's no, true. look, there's a side by side. Oh, uh, yeah. 
she I'm showing him like the Leia one. Okay, yeah, yeah. We just like looked at the, <laughs> at the Tron one. That's pretty bad. She looks like she's from like a um like a wax uh, a wax museum. Exactly. Yeah. The Tron one I love because it almost looks like his head is just sort of floating <laughs> over the body sometimes. <laughs> like it, it almost it almost has like a different center of gravity than the body does. <laughs> and it, the way it bobs. It's interesting because I was thinking about this because watching the CGI Tarkin in Star Wars, I started thinking about that with CGI because everyone always talks about the eyes. They always say, oh, you can tell because there's no life in the eyes and all this stuff. But I think it's that CGI characters move too smoothly. Because in real life, we don't, like, even as human beings, we're not, like, fucking moving around like water. Like, we have lots of stiff kind of motions and movements. Yeah. And the problem is, when you do a computer, like a CGI character, if you have a stiff motion in your head, you think, oh, that feels fake because that motion was so stiff. And so they have to make everything look so smooth. And I find that their mouths, whenever he talked, his mouth almost moved too smoothly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a weird way, but it's hard hard to explain i almost wish they just filmed somebody who had like a similar mouth and then just fucking mapped it on there somehow instead of actually animating a mouth maybe but it was like uh, motion captures there was like a guy with like dots on his face with motion capture camera but yeah there's something that is filled digital yeah as well in the motion and the thing is like with video games now i think it's too close to what they did in the film Mm -hmm. so you you get that like video game feel that's the thing as well maybe it's messing things up that we like we're so used to CG, CG like um, cutscenes in, in video games, yeah. and then like uh, you see like the resemblance in the movies, and then you're like uh, you don't believe it as much. That could be, but then I wonder then to your point about talking to young people if they're like immune to this, <laughs> maybe. But maybe they don't care as much. Like, see, there's another aspect. Like maybe they're not as moved by the movies as we were. You know, uh, we, when I was growing up. The, the video games weren't as sophisticated, and I never developed an emotional attachment to a game. So movies was, like, the place to get those experiences. You know, now with video games having compelling narratives and amazing TV shows, yeah. that maybe the importance of a movie is less for young people? I don't know. That was just a <laughs> just a weird new idea that uh, came to my head. But, uh, but let's listen to another song okay. before I get too carried away. This is a track called No Tomorrow, featuring Pause by Lumetos.
And that was No Tomorrow, featuring Pause by Lumatos. And I know we talked about it last episode, but that was also the track you guys made a short film for, which uh, took place in the Turbo Kid universe, which was cool. And I was just going on a tangent before about uh, movies versus video games, and I know you had some thoughts on that, because you've got some uh, video game connections too, right? <laughs> I, I work a lot with the Ubisoft as well, in mm-hmm. Mon- there in Montreal. Yeah. And at some point, you know, there's something with my job. It's like the frame rate, you know, the 24 frame per second mm-hmm. for a film. It's the big thing when you shoot, like the motion, the, the motion flow and everything, the way the camera moves and the framing moves in film. And now there's all those TVs with like uh, true motion and stuff like Fucking that. Fucking true motion yeah. is bullshit. I know, but I have like this big thing with like one of my friends who's a director and we're trying to, we talk a lot about those because in video games, everybody's trying to get 60 frame and it looks like true motion. Mm-hmm. And for me, the cutscenes doesn't look good in 60 frame in games, but a lot of like younger guys who grown up with those 60 frame per second games i think they're gonna be okay with true motion in films ah but it looks so fucking cheap it's so weird how it can i remember the first time i saw true motion and it was literally actually with my i have a friend who actually used to work at ubisoft i was watching a show that i'd already seen he was watching arrested development which i'd already watched and i'm watching it on his tv and i'm like why does your version of this show look like it was shot with video cameras like (laughs) What's what's going on here? And I'm like, and he didn't realize anything was wrong. I'm like, dude, you got to shut that off. Like, <laughs> this fucking option sucks. I remember when, like, when we were a roommate, me and Janik, and he just bought his new like 42 inch TV mm. HD, and yeah, we we're yeah. like, holy shit, we have like a big screen at home. He had like this one Blu-ray that came with uh, his the PlayStation, PlayStation uh, Three, Spider-Man, like Spider-Man Three, I think. Yeah, <laughs> classic. Yeah. yeah, and he put Spider-Man Three, and it's <laughs> just like to check in, it out, and everything is like in true motion and we don't understand what's going on mm. and we're trying to put that thing off it it's impossible so i just like took this criterion collection uh blu-ray that i had at home from like a old like uh, i think it's a uh, repulsion it's like an old film yeah, yeah in black and white so for sure it was like this film is supposed to be 24 frames per second mm. and it was looking like an old like Sitcom, tv like, program yeah. yeah so bad and Johnny was so pissed because we, we weren't <laughs> able and i was laughing so much but but at the end we we find out it was yeah, like yeah. just like uh we had to go in the menus sub menus menus that's the thing yeah but it comes packaged with the effect on so that's kind of sucks you know it sucks because people like i go to people's places and it's always the effect is always on and they don't realize it so yeah that's scary because yeah, scary. we're trying you know like <laughs> it's scary we're putting a lot of money in making content like films or music videos tv programs and we use like those amazing cameras and like we're we're choosing to go like 24 frame for emotion and stuff like that and at the end people just don't see it because like those like company just put that like default in the tvs right now it's it's pretty bad I'm scared from this thing. At least Spider-Man 3 is a really good film. <laughs> so wow. so there's that, right? It depends, though, too, because when I'm watching... Uh, that was a joke. When I, oh, when, no. when, I know, <laughs> when I was... <laughs> you know, for documentaries and stuff, I'm fine with it. Like, when they show Planet Earth, if they want to show Planet Earth in 60 frames a second, since it's, like, documentary footage, fine, it's fine. cool. But, yeah, for movies and TV... It's so bizarre because when they did that with The Hobbit. Oh, man. Mm. Because I'm a big fan of Doctor Who, okay? Like classic Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way those BBC and those old British shows, they would would film 
outdoor stuff with 16 millimeter film and they would film indoor stuff with video. Yeah, with like studio camera. Yeah, and so like, so Doctor Who would do that all the time where it would literally like, it's on film and the second they walk inside, everything looks kind of cheaper. Oh, I didn't know Doctor Who. That, that I never watched Doctor Who, but I didn't know they were using that type of filmmaking. That's crazy. That's what makes that show so weird. I mean, this is why I like it because there's nothing else like it, but it, they basically filmed, it's a science fiction show that was filmed like a soap opera because like, <laughs> because they filmed the, the indoor stuff like a three camera. A TV, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's why like the laser beams never looked like they were coming out of the guns and stuff because they were doing it all live to tape basically (laughs) nice when they did the hobbit because here they're spending like a hundred you know million dollars but the second it was in 48 frames a second it looked like you're watching some bbc it's almost like you can see the makeup now and you can see everything was a joke i I tried i tried i I stayed like 30 minutes and i walk, walk away and get like a refund to get it like to see it like normally yeah <laughs> but I, I did like I did try it. I was like Peter Jackson wants me to see it like in iframe rate. I'm gonna try to see it and enjoy it in iframe rate. But it's like everything is funny. Every acting is like fake. Yeah. It's so weird. Even the music, everything is feel weird. So weird. It's iframe rate. So Yeah, I think that whole fucking trilogy was like a clusterfuck. Like I don't know that they necessarily went in with the amount of planning that because they they talked like they did for the first two parts, but then like I think at the end of the Hobbit trilogy, there is like some documentary stuff where like Peter Jackson just full on says they didn't know what they were doing, and that they were making up stuff. Which to be fair, like I don't, I didn't like that trilogy that much, but. I mean, if they were just making that shit up on the spot, that's still pretty impressive to make up a fantasy film trilogy, like with a big budget that still kind of was okay. It wasn't like, you know, the same level of nonsense that, say, like the Star Wars prequels were, but it approached it at times, mm-hmm. which was disappointing. I just watched the, the first one of the Abit. I didn't watch the other one. I mean, I liked the first one fine. I thought it was okay. Like, I recognized that it wasn't as good as Lord of the Rings, but I was like, it's okay. You know, like, because people were complaining about it, but um, the next two were worse, in my opinion. Okay. They get very ridiculous. You can you can feel, you know, the half an hour of stuff that was just there to just fill time because there wasn't any story. I don't usually care about that stuff because I like, you know, cool action and fantasy stuff. So when I really feel that as a person who's actually a fan of the universe of, you know, like the Lord of the Rings world and stuff, and even me sitting there is like, all right, this is fucking a bunch of bullshit. Like, this is, just, <laughs> this, like, this is padding. Like, you don't have anything here. And so, you know, you got to have a fucking story, right? That is important. Yeah. The thing is, yeah. that's the thing with the new Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. I think they tried to do a screenplay too fast and it's not that bad, but... I feel it's we're missing something. The thing was when you know when the Force Awakens came out as a nerd, you know, like I could still analyze it for its flaws, but the fact that it was still sort of like an entertaining film was like sort of a victory enough. Oh, it, it was my Star Wars redemption. Seriously, I was like I was collecting everything. I was this big obsessed Star Wars fan, yeah. and because of the new trilogy. I gave everything away. I was like, (laughs) it was weird. It was hard on me. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen episode one seven times in theater trying to like it. Oh, no. Every few years, I will think in my head, maybe I'm being too hard on those films. No. Maybe there is something okay. And then I will watch them again. And you get like fucking like two seconds into it and you're like, no, they're all wrong. This this thing is all fucking wrong. Like everything about it's wrong. 
the way it looks, the way the people act, the everything, everything is wrong. But you know what's the worst? Like for me, the worst thing that happened with the new type of Star Wars thing is like, I bought this Blu-ray uh, box set with mm. all six films because I wanted all the extras that you get on this box set yeah. that you don't have if you just buy like the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't watch like the new trilogy, but I've watched like the old one, even if it's the special edition. Yeah. And at the end of Return of the Jedi, I was like, okay, it was fine. I'm like, I'm okay with the. I don't like the special edition, but I had like a good time. It's fine. And there's this last scene that you see the ghost of like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh yeah, fuck it. Yeah, and yeah. there's fucking Ed and Christensen there. I was like so pissed. You know what pissed me off? I, I actually don't have the Blu-rays. I found, and you probably know about this anyways, those, uh, the special edition edits. They're called like the Harmy whatever. It's like some nerd who took the Blu-ray versions, took all the scenes that were fine, and then actually went back in and digitally took out... <laughs> The special edition stuff, so that they oh, are. You mean the unspecialized? Yes, edition? yes, yeah. No, it's like every movie is like seventeen gig. Yeah, but I still it's got crazy. them anyways because, like, and fortunately, like the PlayStation Four actually plays MKV files, so I can actually watch them. But what bugged me was that Hayden Christensen ghost thing that was on the special edition DVDs, and I remember being like, "Oh fuck me!" But okay, fine. It still pissed me off. But the reason why I never bought the Blu-rays was because of the Vader yelling no oh, when he picks up the Emperor, no, man. That, man, that's bad. That yeah. was the fucking step that's too ridiculous. far because yeah. that was one of my favorite scenes in a movie. And it was so cool because he never fucking said anything, right? He just, it's got the music swelling up and he looks back and forth and like, even if you're fucking, like, your brain doesn't work, you understand yeah. <laughs> what the plight of Darth Vader at that moment, you get it. Look at this evil guy electrocuting my son. Well, what am I going to do? Like, you, you understand it. It's not a very complicated scene. And then to have him say no, <laughs> not only does it make the scene kind of stupid, but then you got to wonder, like, why isn't the Emperor reacting to this? Because, like, he's sitting there electrocuting him, and then right next to him, Vader's going, no! Like, the fucking the Emperor wouldn't just stop for two seconds? Like, what the fuck did you just say? Like, what, <laughs> you saying no? Are you having some second thoughts, Vader? Maybe I'll fucking chuck you in the hole. Like, it just makes the scene not work, and that was the reason why I never bought the Blu-rays. You know, that's, that's the actual reason that's why we should make music faster and not go back on music after, you know? Yeah. So that way you don't break everything we did that way was good by yeah. trying to put stuff that try doesn't to, make try sense. To improve on what's already good. And speaking of what's already good, let's listen to some more Lamatos. This <laughs> is a track called Last Breath.
And that was Last Breath by Lumatos. And I'm here with Lumatos right now. Uh, we're talking about those stupid <laughs> Star Wars special editions. And, uh, you know, I've said this a million times on the show. People who listen are going to be pissed off at me, but... They did it right with the Blade Runner Blu-ray box set. Everything's there. Yeah, they just give you every version. And I don't see why Star Wars doesn't do the same thing. Just like, look, if you like the special editions, go nuts. But if you want the best quality version of the original cuts, you can have that too. If you want the 1994 re-release and THX sound, you got that one too. George Lucas is frustrated because everybody's not like what he he do anymore. You know, it's like, I think it's just that. It's one guy that is one to like impose what he wants to do, you know? Yeah, it's like the, one of the most interesting things in, in movies is just the that whole idea of like, if it's the director's, you know, vision, like does he have the right to say the other version like doesn't exist? You know, like you can't get it, you know? Like that's, it's just so weird to me. And a funny fact about George Lucas, like back in the days, he was one of the guys fighting for blocking studios by painting over black and white films. Mm. He was against that because it was changing the actual vision. Right. So it's kind of weird. The different thing is like it was the studio deciding from the, the work of somebody else. Right. He's working on his work, but why? He, he can do whatever, what the fuck he wants about like his Star Wars, but just like give us the choice to watch it or not and like keep in the original one if we want, you know? Yeah, that's the one thing I've never understood because if you give them the choice, everybody wins. Fine, if you want those new flashy scenes with the spaceships in space or whatever, uh, you know, you got to watch the special edition. That's your choice. Because even with Blade Runner, I liked the final cut except for one thing. When I watched Blade Runner the first time, I didn't see it till I was in high school. So the first cut of it I saw was the director's cut. Mm -hmm. And my brother, who's older than me, his version of it was the theatrical cut. And so like he, I think he prefers that one. I prefer the director's cut because that was the one I saw. And the final cut I actually liked because it did fix some things that I just was sort of like, I always, I was always kind of bothered when he throws the dove in the air and then all of a sudden it's daytime <laughs> when the dove flies away, but it's a nighttime shot. You know, they probably just filmed that at the last minute. It was just like, oh, we need that dove shot. And like, they, they didn't have a nighttime sky to do it on or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they changed my favorite line in the movie or they went back to an earlier version of the dub when fucking Rutger Hauer says, I want more life fucker to Tyrell. Cause that's my favorite line. Like, I love that line just cause it's so weird. Uh, when he's upstairs just like what do you want he's like I want more life fucker and it was from which version that's director's no he says that in all the versions but in in the final cut they changed fucker to father oh what the hell now technically he says father in like one of the work print versions because you know there's like five versions on the blu-ray mm -hmm. so he yeah. says father in the work and and you know like in the behind the scenes like Ridley Scott says you know it was always meant to be ambiguous like, is he saying fucker or father? You know, like he sort of says, a, he kind of says it under his breath. So, it could, but clearly it was fucker. And it's, I love that line. It's just so weird. Like, it's just such a weird, memorable line. And father is fine because it also makes sense. Yeah. But it's not as weird. And it's the weirdness that always attracted me to that thing. Like, I love weird line deliveries in movies. I always love when actors make strange choices because it just a lot of movies now I, I just feel like people aren't making interesting choices like they're good acting like they're delivering you know but they're not doing something that where I walk out of the theater laughing just thinking like remember when that dude said that line it was just so mm -hmm. weird and it was funny and and so that's another thing that bugs me too like just the you know when they go back and they do a bunch of things that I like because even in the Star Wars special editions there's some things in there that are fine 
you know, like, hey, they cleaned up this and they put windows at Cloud City and shit. Like, yeah, the fine. second one is the is the least bad. Like, it's it's fine. What they did with Cloud City is not that bad. No, it's not. It's just like they give you more, you know, of the sets and stuff like that that they cannot do like in the original. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. But then why the need to then change lines of dialogue and, you know, like the yeah. pacing of certain shots? Then you get into that weird territory of like, that's a fucking weird decision. Yeah, but it's it's weird. You know, people change and I feel that, like, I like Close Encounter of the Third Kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one, like, uh, documentary about the film and uh, Spielberg uh, talk about, like, his process of making that film and the fact that he wouldn't be able to write that story now because he has children and you know in that film the lead character has a family and he left everything just to know what's going on Mm -hmm. the fact that now Spielberg has children and a family he said like it will be impossible for him to write a story like that so I feel maybe George Lucas like tried to put more like Return of the Jedi into A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back same type of mentality you know people change and I think it just like tried to be attractive to a younger audience Something and like think that. of what he did to fucking Return of the Jedi. Mm. That fucking musical number scene <laughs> is one of the worst things. That, see, the things that they added were like some of the worst things I've ever seen. And they're putting them into some of my favorite movies. That's the weird thing about the special editions. It's like, it's not just like, hey, doing little tweaks here and there. It's like, let's take the shittiest fucking thing you've ever seen and we're going to put it right here. <laughs> right. I mean, like that musical number in the special edition Return of the Jedi is fucking terrible. Yeah. Like, it's bad. And it totally stands out. That fucking little monster furry guy, like, runs up to the camera and sings, and you can see his tonsils shaking. It's bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) The original one was so much better, man. That fucking blue elephant thing. Yeah. And the... (laughs) Man, I totally forgot about this scene. It's the worst. It's so bad. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, well, listen, this has been the... (laughs) Apparently, this is an interview with Lamatos, but I think for the last hour we've <laughs> been yeah, it was like about hours nerd film talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a big part of our band. It's uh, everything's everything was about movies mm-hmm. from the first track to to the last one, I guess. Yeah, we should probably wrap this up here because we've been talking for a long time. But is there is there anything we haven't uh, talked about, Lamato specifically, that we can? I guess you guys got that tour coming up with uh, with Carpenter Brute. Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing for us. It's uh, it will be the first time that we do like lots of date in the U.S. Yeah, it's so like a official tour, US tour, yeah. yeah, East Coast tour. Yeah, so that's a big thing for us, and the fact that is like we're still pretty underground and uh, Carpenter Brute is starting to be pretty big I guess in the scene mm. so it's good uh, to team uh, to team with him to support his uh, his tour that's pretty good for us yeah. I think we'll probably get more a bigger audience yeah, yeah, for sure. I have a question from one of my listeners. They want to know if you plan to sort of change the tone or your set list to match Carpenter Brute <laughs> style or just go with with what you guys do. It's funny because I've uh, I used to listen to Carpenter Brute and I like a lot what he's, he's doing, but it was like a long time since I uh, listened to him. So I just like listened to his uh, trilogy mm. a couple of days ago. And I'm, in my mind, it was like pretty hard and more like in perturbator kind of stuff. But yeah. it's not that far from what we do. It's, it's harder than us, but I don't think it's like so different that we tried, we needed to try to change our style, you know, to adapt his style. Right. So... 
No, we, we're not gonna. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the the actual answer is no. We're not gonna. We're not gonna change anything. The only thing we we did is like we we brought back like our first logo that we ever done like in 2008 this kind of black metal logo yeah i noticed that yeah 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 so we just like brought back this old thing that we did just for fun because we we liked it and uh, i think it was like a good choice for this tour it's gonna be mostly like it's half and half chronicle of the wasteland and uh, join us and join us it's like a supporting act so it's like an hour and normally we do like an hour 15 an hour 20 plus like an encore when we do that we do like remixes like the halloween remix and the blade runner track that we adapted so it's not that as hard as it used to be on uh coming soon it's more like what we do now and other remixes so for sure this this uh, tour is going to be it's shorter the set so it's uh it's going to be mostly like tracks from the uh chronic of the wasteland and uh, and join us and like a new there's like a new version of like 58 minute pour vivre that it's like a mashup of uh, the original one and the one on the score of turbo kid that is like in the pool scene so we just like combined those two to create like kind of the final version of a uh, 58 minute pour vivre oh cool man that sounds awesome yeah, yeah. we were planning to uh, give the the new version of 58 uh, online but if you want it as like a exclusive first. So oh, that'd be cool. So maybe it's like something that's going to be heard for the first time on your show. Is it so ready maybe. to go? Yeah, yeah, I have it. I can send you a link right now. All right. Well, then let's uh, let's debut this thing, man. This is 58 Minutes in the Pool by Lumetos.
know some things that you don't know. It's going to be very difficult for you to understand it. Five billion people died in 58 Minutes in the Pool, a sort of remix mashup of some awesome songs by Lumetos, and I'm here with Lumetos right now, and uh, I guess we can wind this thing down. Is there anything uh, we missed or didn't talk about? Um, except, like, I think it's uh, we, we did everything on Star Wars, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I don't think so. Maybe we can catch up, like, in uh, Toronto, like you said, if you're available, it can be cool. Yeah, that would be cool, man. Hopefully, uh, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be at that show. I'll be I'll be in the back uh, throwing shit at you guys. Nice. <laughs> That's the kind of guy I am when I go to shows. I'm the one who uh, throws beer bottles on stage and stuff like an asshole. Okay, so we're gonna put like uh, plexiglass in front. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> well, it was good to talk to you guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, man, it was a lot of fun, and uh, <laughs> I love. <laughs> A lot, a lot of uh, nerd talk. Yeah. <laughs> Just been fun. Anyway, listen. Uh, so uh, Lamatos makes awesome music. Thanks. And uh, it's uh, cool. And uh, you guys are going to be on tour with Carpenter Brutes. Yeah. 
And that's going to be cool too. And I'm going to hopefully check that out. And always looking forward to what you guys do in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a new album, like a new score coming out later this year for a web series. So it's an actual score. It's not like、uh, Chronicle of the Wasteland, who is like a version. Of a score that is like more into actual track that we can play live, so it's gonna be more ambient. Yeah. So that's gonna come out、uh, later this year on Dead Waltz Mondo as well on vinyl and on their Bandcamp Digital. So that's what's going on right now with us. Well, that's awesome, guys. Well, listen, you guys have a lovely Montreal evening. Yeah, in the freezing cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are actually a few degrees colder than Toronto usually, so. Yeah, and we're playing outside this Saturday in Montreal. Oh, what? Yeah, at Igloo Fest, it's like this big like、uh, electronic music festival. Normally, it's just DJs, but we did it like in 2009 with synths, and、uh, it's another thing because like it's super freezing and like the old synths are detuning because of the cold. <laughs> it's gonna be crazy. It's insane. It's big. It's like something like five to ten thousand people. Well, that's awesome. I didn't. I didn't know that synths would detune in cold weather. Yeah, yeah we didn't know. But,、uh, <laughs> oh no, we didn't know either. But it wasn't so bad, you know. Yeah, just had to play with the tuning. Yeah, but it's crazy because it's freezing, and it's because if it's freezing, it's like everybody has to dance、mm. and move along. So it's it's kind of like. One of the best shows we did earlier, so it's pretty cool that we're doing it again、uh, this year. Yeah, well, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I hope you guys have a good show. This will air after that, so maybe if I、uh, if I get a chance to catch you guys uh, when you're uh, uh, touring with Carpenter Brute, maybe we can do a catch up and find out how cold Igloo Fest really was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, take care, guys. Yeah.、Man. Take care, man. And that was my conversation with Lamatos.、Uh, cool guys,、uh, great music. Maybe that should be the new catchphrase of the show. Cool guys, great music. Sometimes gals. Anyways, that's all for this week. Tune in next time. I'm very careful to say next time and not next week because Zelda Breath of the Wild releases tomorrow, Friday, the third of March, and、uh, I'm going to play the game. If I can get a Switch, a Nintendo Switch day one, I will. But、uh, I didn't pre-order one, so if I go to the store and they've got some extra boxes there, I'll buy it. Although it's probably a dumb idea because it's always dumb to support consoles when they first come out because there'll be like one game and then there won't be anything else I want to play for a year. So I can either take the high ground and say I've had it buying these Nintendo systems day one. I'm just gonna get the Wii U version of、uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. So that's what's gonna happen if I go to the store and they're like Nintendo Switch. They only sent us. Five boxes. It was sold out two years ago. And I'll be like, all right. So then I'm going to change my pre-order of Zelda to the Wii U one, and then I won't need to buy a Switch until Christmas when、uh, Mario Odyssey comes out. But all this is irrelevant. The point is that I'm going to be playing Zelda this weekend, which means I might get so absorbed in that that I won't have time to edit next week's episode. And also, I just started a Beyond Synth mailing list, so I'm going to post the link in the Show More section of the SoundCloud, so you know. When you go to SoundCloud and listen to Beyond Synth, if you click the Show More button, you'll see all the artist links to the artist featured on the episode, and there's also a bunch of other links there to the Beyond Synth Patreon, to Ogre who does the theme song, to Hoo-ha who does the jingles, and now there will be another link. To the mailing list and sign up. I don't know if it's going to be a weekly or a biweekly or a monthly. I haven't、uh, planned that far ahead, but、uh, please join the mailing list, man, and you'll get some inside info. And that is all I have to say. So have a lovely weekend and、uh, tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. I'm